Good evening, and welcome to television. Hey folks, this is Televised Revolution. This is our regular look at all things TV and televisual. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined here by Simon Band and Dennis Gigantic. Dennis Gigantic, how are you doing, sir? What's going on in the hood? Um, nothing much, really. I guess I'm just enjoying the whole, you know, US election on TV at the moment. Just all the news grabs and bits and pieces and all the social media going around it. You've got like a normal day-to-day job. Uh, does anyone in your office sort of start streaming the election? Like, usually you can tell because there'll be one person getting really indignant and shouting at their computer in the office somewhere. <laughs> no one got really indignant, though. So no one was streaming. I think some people were watching the, the, the feeds, so you're seeing the live feeds on the news, but not actually watching it directly, which you could. Most news sites were actually streaming it live. So that was pretty, um, well, easy to get access to the actual feeds anyway. Yeah, in Australia, most of the TV channels had a live feed running either through their website or through their social feed. Mm. Um, so, like, that was pretty good. Um, I was watching a sort of a mixture between um, SBS were carrying the CNN feed through their social channels, uh, but then also Twitter were running Bloomberg through it. So, I was watching Bloomberg for the uh, two guys from, I can never think of the name of the program. I keep on wanting to call it All Things Considered, but that's the music program from NPR. Um, with all due respect is the name of the program. Anyway, those guys, uh, Mark Halperin and John Hellerman, uh, also the two guys responsible for the circus, which people may be watching here on Stan. Mm. Anyway, that's really good. And I've gotten quite sort of, um, I guess quite hooked on their program. So I've been watching that quite regularly in the afternoons. Uh, but yeah, so if you're interested in US political stuff, like check that out on Bloomberg and it gets carried here on the local Bloomberg Simon Band, you're around. Did you watch the election? I did watch the election. It was actually my wife who was like, hey, let's watch the debate. And then the colour just drained from my face. Uh, and then we watched the debate because we were both home in the middle of the day today. And it was... <sighs> yep. <sighs> it was what it was. It, it was something. Uh, the actual debate itself, I didn't think was particularly that interesting. But all the TV business leading up to it, I thought was really quite interesting. And of course, it got very TV-centric this week because you had the Billy Bush business up front. Oh, you know, R.I.P. Billy Bush. Yeah, or R.I.P. Billy Bush's career because that's not in such a hot place right now. Yep, it's, well, yeah. It's in career, what, purgatory? Oh, look, it's something right now. We'll see. Anyway, we could talk about this for hours and no one wants to hear that. So let's move on. All of us have finally got around to see Westworld. Except for Dennis, who may have taken a circuitous path and watched the West Wing instead. Yeah, West Wing, Westworld. I don't know what's going on there. But let's just say there's no <laughs> Cowboys Indians. Well, no Indians, but no Cowboys. On, I still um, don't know if West he's Wing. making a joke or not. Like, I, yeah, I still- can't tell if he's joking or if he's seriously watched, like, what, three seasons of West Wing instead. Look, it could have happened. But anyway, let's maybe just talk about Westworld and hope that is what Dennis has seen. Uh, Simon Band, Westworld. First of all, did you like it? I did like Westworld. I, because though I'm a, a genre nerd and it's the kind of thing that I should really, really love, I was quite surprised at how much I did not really, really love it. So while I really enjoyed it, it's a 
gorgeous visual spectacle. I I did ho hum a little bit at some places, and that was quite surprising. Where I thought I should have been just signed up from day one. Uh, so you know, it's it's high concept genre television, uh, but it didn't quite wow me uh, in the ways that I thought it would. Okay, now I forced you to watch episodes one and two. Do you plan to come back and watch episode three? Uh, look, eventually, I guess. Uh, when I get um, Foxtel for Game of Thrones next year, I'll get it on one of the binge channels, but it won't be part of my week-to-week viewing. Okay, uh, Dennis, now, presumably it was the West World you saw and not the West Wing. Uh, first of all, what did you think of Martin Sheen's performance? Of who? Jeans. Martin Sheen. Oh, Martin Sheen. You know, he played the president. Yeah, he was weird in, in that whole... I was wondering why he was on a horse. And things like that. It was <laughs> okay, come on, Westworld. What did you think? Um, so it, I guess um, I'm gonna make some parallels here. Like Game of Thrones, the the intro to the show really got me. I went, hmm, okay, I'm pretty interested in this. This is sort of very visually appealing about the whole sort of thing. So that sort of pulled me in in the first sort of part. Yeah, but then, five minutes in. Sorry. Five minutes in. Then getting into the show um, where there's that bloody that fly that got me, ooh, you know, I got me a little bit, not excited, but creeped out. But then the whole concept, I started to empathize with the actual bloody the mannequins and the whole thing or the, the, the automatons, whatever you call them. The androids. The androids. And sure I think that's the point. Yeah, that is the point of the show, is that there's these like, <laughs> intelligent feeling creatures that, we've cr- that have been created for humans to just do the most wicked things in their souls to. And then every day they just scrub them clean and their existence is just to be raped and murdered repeatedly. And you kind of go, ah, yeah. oh, poor robots. I get that. I, like, I get that. And I get that sort of, you know, in your face of aspect of that, the show. But it still had things for it. Like it was still trying to build a plot line with the character who gets. We let it, you know. Um, you can offer some spoilers here. Again? We're on to episode two, okay, broadcast cool. wise. I think there he gets he gets um the he gets scalped, and then there's like the little barcode thing underneath his scalp type of thing, where we're well, now alluding map. to, huh? It's a map. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's a map of a maze with someone in the middle. Because Ed Harris, who I quite enjoy watching murder people, it turns out. So, <laughs> you know, basically the show is, oh, sex robots, and Ed Harris murders everyone. Um, oh, well, in, it, fan- in fairness to Ed Harris, he got everybody home in Apollo 13, and this gives him a certain amount of leeway now. True. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it is the same character. Yeah. I enjoyed his character in here, in, in the show. And the guy from, what's it called? To Kill a Mockingbird. That's the one I'm talking about. What is his name? <laughs> what are you talking about? He was about? in that movie with the bloody Hunger Games. What was it? From the peanut gallery in the back of there? No, not Cyclops. Hunger Games. Sorry, I got the peanut gallery trying to tell me what, what I was watching this morning and this afternoon. Um, Hunger Games? Yeah, the guy, he was in the second Hunger Games. He's like this... He's Anthony Hopkins' sidekick. Oh, that guy who was in the second Hunger Games. Yeah. yeah was he in the Hunger Games? Yeah, I've seen it. I don't the, remember. He was one of the historical pledges, wasn't he? No, he was from the um, the district that made electricity. Oh, okay. Are, are, we, to- are we talking about Jeffrey Wright? Is this the actor we're talking about? I don't know his name, but that guy. 
African-American fellow. He's in his uh, maybe early 50s at this point. I don't see age, Daniel. <laughs> you see, see the guy who was wearing the like, vest the whole time, like the suit yeah, vest. Yeah, glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The he guy with glasses and the suit vest. He was an engineer. Yeah, and he was the one who was saying, yeah. Anyway. We're talking about Jeffrey Wright. That's right. He's a well-regarded actor. Yes. And um, so, anyway, I enjoyed that whole sort of thing. The nudity was a bonus, but that's that's that's, that's sort of expected now for um, HBO. HBO, you know, it wouldn't be nudity. No HBO, no nudity. It goes together. Anyway, I enjoyed it. I, I got lost a little bit, nearly about the three-quarter mark, and then I sort of got back into it again. Don't know why. I just did. Anyway, that's my... Um, that's what happened. Yeah. Now, my thing with watching the show is the first hour, I don't think is particularly great. And after watching the second hour of it, it really seems like it was built to be a two-hour premiere and not the two one-hour episodes that we saw. Because I really think that a lot of the fleshing out of the idea of what we're seeing here definitely came in the second hour of it. But you couldn't- Just the way the entire two hours were structured, because a lot of the new characters- I know, I was Sorry? just going to say, I totally agree with that, because the first episode towards the end goes, ah, you figured out the managers, uh, the management's got uh, something else going on, and what else is going on under the surface? And it's like, okay, but maybe show us something. No, no, there's some mystery in the future. It was a little bit much. Yeah, and it wasn't the sort of world-building mysteries that you find with other shows where it's like, well, you know, we won't tell you this, but you stick around for the first season, you'll see it at some point through this. Rather, it felt like something which they'd tell us in like an hour or two's time. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I suspect that this was written with the idea that it would probably be a two-hour premiere. Um, and also the way that they introduced some of the characters into the second hour, which are ongoing characters, which I thought was a little bit of a unique way to do it. So you've got that, but I kind of felt while watching the entire thing, the entire program and premise of the series was reminding me of two things. First of all, I can't help but feel that the movie Existence mm. is going to be somewhat of an influence on this program. Now, if you guys have seen Existence, yes. this came out more or less the same time as The Matrix, and I think sort of did Matrixy ideas in a smarter way. And really, the way that it worked was you had sort of levels within levels of reality. And I think this might be what we're experiencing here. If we find out that characters like Jeffrey Wright's character, where we're talking about the characters in like the lab as well as, you know, the people managing the theme park, if we find out that's just another level of, you know, scheming by Anthony Hopkins' character, I wouldn't be entirely surprised. Because you've got lots of characters of whom are robots that don't realize they're robots. And I feel a lot of the human characters we're watching will actually end up falling into that trap as well. I'm hoping one of them creates a gun out of bones. Oh, look, it very well could happen. God, Existence was a good movie. It was a good movie, wasn't it? So you've got that going on. And keep in mind as well that uh, the Ed Harris character, he is currently trying to find the next level to play. And while I think the presumption from a lot of hardcore fans of the original Westworld film are probably thinking is that they are looking at the sequel to Westworld, which is this thing called Future World. And there was all these suggestions in the original film that there were other worlds around as well. So I think people are looking at the next level as being going to a different world. But I think it's actually legitimately what we're seeing from the outset here, which is that the next level may just be a different level of reality, of perception. Isn't that really just sort of talking about Maze Runner? Ah, see, I haven't seen Maze Runner. Uh, The show already has a lot of stuff 
to suggest that's the case. So you had the the handsome robot guy who was also Cyclops waking yeah. up on the train, and that's his reset point into the new day and the new reality with the new uh, guests coming into the park. But then in the second mm-hmm. episode, you actually had you know that weird looking guy who plays weirdos waking up on the train going into the park. So you've actually not seen the outside world, uh, and you actually do have this mirroring of the fiction and the supposed reality around it. Yes, and I think this is just one base level, and the further up the chain we get, the more we're going to start seeing these revelations happen. And this is what I suspect we're going to see over this first season. And we already saw, kind of outside of the park, these, what do you call them, replicants? I don't know. Uh, Kind of, you know, already blending who's human, who's a robot. Yeah, now the other thing that I kept on thinking about all the way through it was how much the, I guess, mechanics of the Westworld environment seems to remind me quite heavily of two things. Um, Grand Theft Auto, but also maybe more specifically a game that's also made by the Grand Theft Auto people called Red Dead Redemption, which was a Western version of Grand Theft Auto, effectively. And that was a thing that played around lots of Western tropes and just the general engagement of the characters in this. It seems to be tapping into a lot of the same construction of the tropes that we see in Westworld. And I can't help but keep on coming back to the idea of you've got all these human characters that exist within the world of Westworld. And when they enter into the fictional Westworldiness of Westworld, they see all these robots as just um, figments, avatars effectively, to do whatever they want with them. And much the same way as you can in Grand Theft Auto or... Uh, Red Dead Redemption, you can murder people, you can do all sorts of things. Uh, Grand Theft Auto is well known for some sort of uh, fairly gross business to do with being able to murder prostitutes after you have sex with them and take their money. I don't think that's been a factor in the most recent couple of versions of that game, but you know, it suddenly got that reputation for that something you could have done during, I think it's the third incarnation of uh, Grand Theft Auto. By five, it's mostly. So you've got that, but. Yeah, there's a whole lot of lap dancing in number five, and G's have. But I kind of kept on thinking about the way that Westworld, it's kind of the same way that I might play a video game and go and just brutally murder someone, just because it's a video game character and it's kind of inconsequential. But, you know, I'm just kind of getting my kicks while sitting on the couch. It kind of seems like just that next level where they're getting their kicks by murdering and doing God knows whatever else in a Westworld environment. But is what they're doing necessarily any worse than what I'm doing? Not sure. Hmm. But yeah, so anyway, I just kept on coming back to that. Just because the mechanics are exactly the same in so many ways. Hmm. Now, something else I was thinking about is that if we do go into other versions of Westworld-type environments, so if they take us to Future World, is it necessarily going to be stuck to maybe this sort of um, franchise of sci-fi films why can't we have them maybe leave the park and we realise that we're in the, say, world environment of Soylent Green? Like, could that happen? Well, we've seen the kind of the hint that, you know, someone said the real world outside doesn't make sense and it's total chaos. So we actually yeah. don't know what horrors are out there, that we know this is an incredibly expensive uh, experience for the super privilege that it just costs obscene amount of money uh, you know the the horrors that might be on the outside uh, you know may even pale in comparison mm. but yeah there's definitely a lot of interesting things going on textually in this so I'm very curious to see where it goes I'm certainly on board for the season at this stage at this stage 
Yeah. Uh, Dennis, are you going to stick around for episode two? Mm, I might give it a go. I, wasn't- I would recommend at least watch the second episode. Because I think the second episode moves much quicker and there's more interesting things going on in that one than that first episode. Mm, okay. Yeah, fair enough. I'll give it a go. Yeah. So at least watch that. If you tap out after that, I'd totally understand. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Now, there's another HBO show which is launched this week called Divorce. Now, Dennis, I'm guessing you probably haven't seen this, but Simon, I'm pretty certain you watched it because the two of us discussed it this morning. You made me watch it. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. is what's more accurate. It was very Clockwork Orange. Uh, but no, uh, I was. I watched Divorce and I went in going, oh, what's this going to be about? And I'm actually intrigued about Divorce. Um, well, I it's, would, it's kind of in the title of the show, but what's it about? It is about the series or the season is about a long running, uh, kind of protracted, uncomfortable divorce. Uh, because, you know, as opposed to the pleasant kind of divorce. Uh, so as opposed to a TV show where, you know, you might have someone whose husband's run out on them or there's the sudden divorce and then the show focuses on, you know, them going out into the world again or looking for love again. This show is going to be following the, the divorce and the, the kind of the marriage of Sarah Jessica Parker and, uh, you know, that guy, you know, Ned and Stacy guy. Tom, Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church, that guy. Um, both are incredibly flawed characters in their own kind of ways like they're flawed but they also have their their positive sides so nobody's really the villain of the piece like both can be seen as you know unsympathetic and sympathetic in equal mix so you don't have somebody who is the baddie baddie or the antagonist of the situation uh, i think it's quite interesting that the husband is you know, in a lot of ways, a sympathetic character. Um, and then as the first episode progresses, you find kind of more things along the way, you know, people are doing bad things. There's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of, you know, uh, quite sincere emotion. There's a lot of foul mouthery and jokes. There's, you know, a nice big farcical uh, scene in the first episode with kind of, you know, uh, some mild gunplay, which seems to come out of nowhere, uh, but that was shot in this incredible way, kind of with um, Thomas Hayden Church's character kind of watching, looking in through the windows at a party, kind of in disbelief of what's fold- unfolding uh, in front of him. So it's quite an interesting show, but I think we expected it to be an interesting show because of the involvement of um, uh, Sharon uh, Horgan who we have raved on about in uh, Dan and I, our mutual admiration for the show uh, Catastrophe. Yeah, and we should say it's more than just being involved. She's the creator and writer of every episode of the program. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, now this show has two major things going against it for me. One, I have such a dislike towards Sarah Jessica Parker, it's crazy. Yes, I I really just. And I don't know. Yeah, and like, look, I'm sure she's a wonderful human being. I'm sure her family loves her. I'm sure she's a good person. But I do not like Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm very sorry, Sarah, but I just do not like you. Yeah, I've got the same thing as well, where I'm sure she's perfectly pleasant in real life. But yeah, just as a screen presence, she really bristles. And it's kind of weird because so many of my favorite movies have Sarah Jessica Parker in them. What, like uh, the so first I mean, two of them that 
Oh, I've never actually seen. Is she in that shoot? Yeah, she's the other woman of one of the marriages. Okay, I was thinking more maybe like State and Maine and also LA Story, which has got prominent roles in both. Mm, yeah. There's something anyway, about uh, the brand of, I don't know, this kind of, kind of she's got a kind of, and this maybe is me nitpicking, but that's kind of super ultra sincerity that she seems to peddle becomes a bit annoying at times. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so I've got an issue with her. So I was immediately sort of, my back was against the wall on her. I wasn't really so keen. The other thing as well is that I don't really like movies where people are getting divorced. Because it just seems like everyone's just really bitter and really angry. And I just can't find any sort of motivation to want to watch that. I feel it always like treads on the same boards. I'm just, I don't want to watch it. I don't care. What I like about this, though, is that it isn't really so much people trying to get revenge on their spouse, but rather you're actually seeing it the genesis. This is the secret origin story of the divorce. So it's not people telling the story is, you know, this is something that happened six months ago. We're watching it all fall apart. And every character in it is guilty of something to a certain degree. Now, while I don't like Sarah Jessica Parker, I do love Sharon Horgan. I think she is such a phenomenal comedic voice that I'm completely on board for this program because of Horgan. And I've actually found that I've watched through, I think, six episodes of it now. And I'm content to finish out the season. Like, I'm in for it. The one thing I would say, though, is that maybe the show would have been better if Sharon Horgan was actually starring in the program as well. It'd be so much more engaging. Well, because there was a point where the character played by um, uh, Molly Shannon. Uh, Molly Shannon? Yes. Who she kind of... The way that she delivered her lines and the way she was behaving and talking, I went, oh, that's that's Sharon. That's her. That's her oh, well, on I mean, the I feel the same way about Sarah Jessica Parker's character. Like, she seemed like Sharon Horgan. Mm, the, the I was could hear that of, very easily. It's the same voice. Mm, and there was something about it where, yeah, it is her voice in a lot of ways, because her, you know, even when she does comedy and writes stories that aren't necessarily about her, it does still come across as very personal. Uh, there's something about it that makes you think of her because she does have a very strong style, but in a very good way. Yeah. And I was reading a review from, I think it was Daniel Feinberg in The Hollywood Reporter. And he was saying that one of the problems that he found in the show was actually Thomas Hayden Church. And the more I thought about it, I think he might be onto something, which is that Thomas Hayden Church, he is just so bristly in this program that it's hard to really want to connect to any sort of humanity that he has. And it seems like he's actually keeping the audience at a complete arm's length. And for a role like that, you probably actually need to be a bit more inclusive. Actually bring the audience to you. So that might be an issue going on with it. Um, I don't think many people are really going to take the divorce that much. I think people will maybe sort of watch it out of habit, but I don't see it being that popular a program. Mm. Although I'm just doing a... During a Wikipedia, though, Sharon Horgan's uh, writing credits uh, taper off. Uh, so she wrote the first one and co-wrote the next two, but her writing credits disappear after that. I thought she did more than that. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, Simon, Frequency. This is a show that you've watched. I have not bothered yet. 
frequency, which I think we talked about last week, was being based on a movie with time travel through a CB radio. It's a show about uh, time travel through a CB radio, uh, where there's a daughter whose father was a cop who died uh, 20 years earlier, and then she through certain events, her CB radio, I think it's struck by lightning, I forget, uh, it allows her to talk to her father through the same CB radio set, and kind of reconnects with this person who was uh, missing and then found dead for some time uh, later in a, you know, mysterious circumstances. What had happened? Was he a, he was a cop that was undercover, but did he forget which side he was on? And I'd love this because this is a joke that's in A Touch of Cloth, where it's, you know, deep undercover and you've forgotten which side you're on, which is, you know, the always the cop undercover trope. And the fact that they actually say several times, you've forgotten which side you're on, I just thought was the funniest thing ever, unintentionally. Uh, she then can talk to him and maybe change events in the past. But if you change events in the past, what other things will change? So it was actually a total surprise. I thought it would be a bit of guff because um, it's the CW, which while I do enjoy their programming, you know, it is a little bit, you know, naff. Uh, but this, I was actually quite surprised at how touching the relationship through a radio was between the, the father and the daughter, that there was actually something very well done and, you know, passionate in their relationship. Uh, and I actually cared what was going to happen to the people, which is quite a massive change on uh, quite a lot of the other shows that have been um, uh, released this season. So it, it is not a you know great show, but I was really surprised that how well it kept my interest, and I am actually interested in finding out what happens next. Okay, very quickly, each episode, is it just going to be solving a different murder of the week, but with time travel? No. Well, I don't think it'll... Okay, so there will be... Simon, quickly. No, because every time she does something, something changes. So, uh, do you want a spoiler for the first episode? No, I don't care. But, um, so, how, what's the story engine then moving forward? How do they create a different story every week? Uh, well, each time she talks to her father, something changes. So, at the end of this, she's saved her father, but now her mother's dead. And she's not going to be engaged, as she was at the beginning of the episode, to a handsome young architect. So instead of the father being shot in an alley, uh, the mother's being killed supposedly by a serial killer instead of another nurse, because the timelines have changed. So she can remember what it was before, but also something else has happened. So she can continue to manipulate uh, to try and get this perfect time where everybody's alive. And I'll give you a hint, probably not going to be successful. I'm really going to have to remind you what the word quickly means. Now, this is very reminiscent of another TV show from this week called Timeless, which I don't think we'll bother talking about because it was kind of terrible. It was- but that's also got a lot of time travel going on and a lot of, oh, we've changed the timeline. What's going to happen next week to us? And that ending reveal was meant to be, oh, my God. But it was actually just, oh, ho-hum. I've That was an incredibly disappointing episode of television. I'm sorry, Sean Ryan. Yeah, I'm not going to come back to that one. Uh, Very finally, just a heads up to people of whom are keeping up TV from the US. Uh, Both Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl have TV crossovers this week. So I believe the gang from New Girl go to New York and get involved in uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine related crimes. So that will be one to check out. 
And I just thought maybe I'd pose the question to the two of you. Uh, TV crossovers, do either of you have a favourite? Uh, Simon Band? Um, I quite like, because they're just so terrible and hilarious, the um, crossover episodes in the uh, CW superhero universe. I quite enjoy uh, Barry Allen showing up in Arrow. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that one. Uh, Dennis Gigantic, what are your favourite crossovers? Can we do ones that were almost crossovers, but weren't? Sure. It's up to you. It's what your favourites are, man. The, the Picket Fence slash X-Files. That almost didn't happen, and it didn't happen really at all. Yeah, so, there are some very loose narrative threads, but yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, uh, my favorite was probably really in the mid '90s when you had some real hardcore dedicated crossovers between the cast of Homicide: Life in the Street and um, what's it called um, Law and Order, and so every year they would do a dedicated four-part TV crossover into both. Now, what I love about it is that while it's perfectly fine if you're watching them all the same week, if it is much the same way as it was scheduled back in the day in Australia, you'd be watching episodes of Law and Order two years ahead of what they were showing of Homicide Life on the Street or vice versa. I forget how it worked. But yeah, so basically you don't even really see half of the storyline because different networks are just never really lined up. Mm. Yeah. So I do fear what's going to happen with Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl in Australia because neither of them are on the same network and they'll be wildly different. So, you know, enjoy that one, Australia. Guys, let's wrap up. Uh, what's been exciting in our own sort of TV universes? Dennis, what have you been watching? Um, like I said, you made me watch The West Wing. Westworld, sorry. Um, you should watch The West Wing. I should watch The West Wing. Yeah, you know, I don't get into that. What I should be watching, though, is the other one. That's on Netflix that I can't think of its name. House of Cards. Designated Survivor. No. Oh, House of Cards. I still haven't watched House of Cards yet. That's something I should put on my radar. So basically, it's things I haven't watched yet is what my picks are. So I should be I can't that. help but feel you would enjoy The West Wing more than you would House of Cards. You reckon? I kind of think you might. Oh. Okay. There's one thing about House of Cards I think you'd like. But beyond that, I don't think... No, I'm not sure. I don't know what's believe anymore. Simon Band, what's been happening in your telly? Um, well, look, I'm still motoring through uh, my two side binges, uh, which is Star Trek The Next Generation and uh, The Dick Van Dyke Show. So I know I'm a bit of a broken record, but they're my go-to flick something on and watch a couple of episodes. Yeah. Uh, now, I've been watching a show called Better Things, which is a show from the FX network in the U.S., uh, Better Things, it kind of feels a lot like Louis, but it stars Pamela Adlon, who we did see in the show Louis quite a fair bit. Uh, Louis C.K. I think is on board as an executive producer on this program. And it really got me thinking about, there's so much conversation at the moment about the need for more diverse voices on TV and to have different representations other than, you know, uh, white guy doing stuff. And this program looks and feels so much like the TV show Louis. The only difference is that because it's filtered through Pamela Adlon's experience, she is spending a lot more time with her daughters as more of a uh, unified family unit. When I'm watching that and I'm comparing against Louis, the thing that I'm finding is the show would be so much better if she wasn't having to deal with the fact that she has started with these kids, which I understand is because it's being filtered through her experience. Even so... I'm really seeing an argument for how about we just have the same boring white guy in the center of it because they're doing a lot more stuff. 
because it's the exact same show, but saddled with three annoying teenagers. Yeah. Painful. Damn, damn kids. <laughs> yeah, damn, damn kids. But in a positive thing for diversity on TV, maybe people should share Insecure, which is a much more interesting uh, sitcom that's currently airing on HBO. And this is an African-American actress named Ilsa... I think that's her name. I should have written it down earlier. Uh, but anyway, Insecure, check that out. It is a spinoff from a web series that she used to do. And it's basically about a young African-American woman dealing with uh, sort of turning 30, not being married yet, and some of the cultural um, hurdles that are in her way because of that. Anyway, it's very interesting. I am certainly on board for that moving forward. Let's get out of here. Guys, this has been Televised Revolution. Dennis Gigantic, you're on the, still on the Twitter. Where's that? Yep, at DND AOS. The answer is twitter.com. Simon Band, you're on the Twitter. Where's that? At Simon Band. No, the answer is twitter.com. And there's an app for that. There is an app for that. Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash the Dan Barrett. Also, check out televisedrevolution.com. We have our social media, our Facebook, all that business. Let's get out of here. Folks, we'll catch you next time. Good.